Yeah, what does it take for it to be? We also, the other thing for uh, our family is when the Home Sweet Home candle comes out, which is the uh, Yankee candle, Home Sweet Home, which is just something that we've always had. Or there's, we have another green one. I don't know what it's called. It's evergreen or something. It smells like a Christmas tree. When those two candles come out, like they get put away for like the whole year and I don't get to smell them at any point until it's Christmas time. So that's another one for our family. Um, and I'd say the other one, so for me growing up, it was when the JCPenney toy catalog showed up in my house and everybody who's under the age of like 33, maybe 30 is like, what are you talking about? They would send you this incredibly thick, full color catalog with all the toys for the year in it. And I would pour over it. It was, I mean, this is going to sound sacrilegious. It definitely is. It was the Bible in our household for about a month before Christmas. We would go through everything. I don't know. Do I want this one? I'd circle all the things that I was hoping for. And then you'd number them. If you were like really smart, you'd number them because the grandparents, they wanted to spoil you. So they would want to get you what was ever the highest on your list. And then you also had to think about like uh, price ranges, you know, when you were a kid. So you'd be like, okay, so grandma might spend this much. Mom and dad might spend this much. So you'd like, you want to get those set up for the family. I'm the only one, apparently nobody else. Um, I took my, took my JCPenney catalog very seriously. Okay. Um, it got worn out and used very uh, highly in our household. Nowadays, I imagine that's an Amazon list. In fact, we have, uh, you know, two kids and we get the calls from the aunts and uncles and the grandmas and grandpas and they're like, hey, can you put together an Amazon list for us? So it's actually now me making the list for my kids. How, what? I mean, this, they're so lazy. Like, get your own, <laughs> figure this thing out. So, so that's what it looks like in our household for Christmas. And I don't know what your... Uh, what your situation is, but there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in this holiday, right? So there's, you know, there's a lot of things kind of going through your head. A lot of us, we take some time off at the end of the year. So we're looking forward to kind of like some relaxation. Maybe you got a couple of days off at some point during this time. You maybe have family coming from out of town. Maybe you're traveling somewhere to go to see family out of town. Uh, there's the stress of hosting. I know this year we'll be hosting uh, my in-laws, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and my niece in our house, which is not big enough for the, that amount of people. And so that'll be stressful. We're already like cleaning for that. You got to do the deep clean before the mother-in-law shows up. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Some of you are sitting next to your mother-in-law and you are nodding your head. Um, it's not easy. And there's a lot of stress that comes along with it. There's a lot of stuff that can be overwhelming at times. And you know, you start to get into this Christmas season and it becomes a lot about the gifts and a lot about getting the house ready and a lot about hosting people and making sure you have enough food in the house and making sure that everybody's taken care of and wrapping stuff. That's usually like the last minute, you know, like the night before. Um, or putting together toys. That's the new thing I have to do now. Like my wife is like, we got our kids. They're not in the room. A uh, little thing. And she's like, do you want to set this up ahead of time? And I'm like, oh, we probably should do that. That's another hour I have to spend setting something up. It just, there's a lot going on. And I don't know sometimes if you feel this way, but like, I need a break. I need to step back for a minute and actually remind myself there's something to this that's way more than all the holiday hoopla. Okay. You may not be feeling anxiety, but there's just a lot of stuff on your brain. Okay. So here's the thing. I would like to pray for us and I'm going to ask God to push all of that stuff out and for us to focus in this morning on the story on really what this is all about, why we are celebrating, what is so important about this story. 
and how God did some amazing things to show us how much he cares about us and how much he loves us. So would you pray with me as I, as I ask God to prepare us for this sermon? God, thank you, first and foremost, for sending Jesus into this world. This was not a small thing. In fact, this was your plan all along. And you revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus. There could not have been a bigger moment than the moment when Jesus stepped into our world. So I pray, God, that during this next couple minutes that you would help us push out all the stuff that's going on in our world. You let us, uh, allow us to let go of our work schedules, of our family stuff, of all the, the things that come along with Christmas and the celebration of Christmas. And God, that you would help us to focus in on the purity of this story, of, of the fact that you, this is your, your, um, your opportunity to reach into our world and to help us see who you are and to understand your heart and to know you better, God. And you did it in the most unexpected, incredible way, God. Would you help us to focus on that and just take a step back and really focus on what it is that you're doing in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God, I'm sorry, this is not Luke chapter 2, this is Luke chapter 1. Let me start at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Sounds wonderful, right? Angel shows up. Hey, you are highly favored. This is amazing. Um, except Mary, it says she was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So for Mary, this idea that God would reach out to her meant something different than whatever it would mean to maybe me or you. Like if an angel showed up in my house, yes, in the Bible, every time an angel shows up, everyone's afraid. Just, just so the thought, it's not because that angel is scary. It's because that angel is powerful. You feel the smallness of who you are when an angel shows up in that moment. Okay, So Mary is definitely afraid. She's in fear of the, the bigness of this angel in her life. But it says that she was greatly troubled as words and wondered what this kind of greeting might be. Now, for the Jews... You have to put yourself in their mindset. It has been hundreds of years since God has intervened into history. If an angel came to you in Mary's day and started with greetings, you who are highly favored, you now know nothing about your life will ever be the same again. In fact, God might be calling you to do something the way he was calling people in the Old Testament to do things, the way that he reached out to the prophets and the people who were written about. And so Mary, having known all those stories, having studied and known the, the scriptures, she knew that if this angel showed up and was speaking to her, not only was she very small in that moment and the angel was very big, but also the angel was probably going to ask her to do something that would put her in a tough spot. All of the people in the Old Testament who said yes to God, yes, many of them had amazing triumphs and did incredible things, but also many of them suffered and were persecuted for whatever God asked them to do. So as the angel shows up to Mary, she feels small in that moment, but also she's like, oh man, I just wanted to be a regular girl. Maybe don't pick me. <laughs> Maybe I don't necessarily want the persecution that's coming or what you're going to ask me to do is so much bigger than what I think I'm capable of. Maybe I could just be a regular person. 
Okay, and I think a lot of us, we could resonate with that. We don't necessarily want God's spotlight on us, right? We're, we're moving around people all the time who need to hear Jesus' message in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our relationships, in our families. And we're like, God, anybody but me, right? That's a lot of times, if you were being honest, that's how we feel. We're like, God, anybody but me. Please use, Mike, I'm going to pray that our other coworker who knows Jesus now shares with this person because I don't, I'm afraid. Don't put the spotlight on me. And Mary's first uh, impression when the angel came to speak with her was, oh no, what does this mean? And oh, I'm so small in this moment. This is actually sort of scary. So it says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Right? So he, the angel lays out what Mary is going to have to do in this situation. What she's being called to do. And of course, her question is very practical. I don't know what the sex education looked like in the public schools in Jerusalem in the first century, but it's probably a little different. But Mary's been around the house. She's seen babies born. She knows what's, what the thing is. So she's like, well... How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a, I don't know if you know this, angel, uh, I can't yet conceive because I'm a Jewish girl. I follow the law. I do what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm being, my, my body to me is something that I'm holding pure for my husband someday. And in fact, in that culture, if you were found to be pregnant before you were married, that was a stonable offense. Okay, so she's like, I just want to stop, hold on record, let's, Stop the record here. Angel, I can't be pregnant because I'm not in that place. I just want you to know how is this going to be possible, right? So the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And that must have been, oh, okay, wow. You are calling me to something that seems insane, right? Now, I don't know at this point if you're checking out. If this is you and you're in the story where Mary is and this angel shows up to you. If in the moment you just say, yes, angel, you're huge and I'm small and it feels like you could just smote me. Is that a word that we could use? Like, it feels like I could walk away from this and not be living at the end of this conversation. Maybe I should just say yes, whatever you want. But Mary's kind of asking the questions and she's pushing back and the angel's explaining what's going to happen. And the thing about this is there isn't a better person, but there isn't also a worse person for this to be, uh, to be used by this angel or to be used by God in this moment. Like, I think all of us would have some problem saying yes to, Jesus, or to the angel in this moment. All of us would have some excuse, some reason why we couldn't, some fear, some anxiety over what God was calling us to do. And in Mary's situation, what God was looking for in her, he's about to point out in a minute through the angel, is something that I think a lot of us really should be looking for in our own lives, right? So it was, it was um, God using a very imperfect person to bring about something that was going to change the world. And in fact, what we find in the Bible is a, it's a, a through line that goes all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the beginning to where we are now, is that God prefers perfectly imperfect people. God prefers perfectly imperfect people. There was nothing special about Mary that was different than you or I, except for her willingness and her obedience, right? But God wants to use people that you least expect, and he wants to use people where his power is the one that's shown through them. In fact, the more 
that we sometimes fight with what God is calling us to do, the more qualified we are. Because God likes to use very imperfect people. All through scripture, we see very imperfect people. And it wasn't just Mary. It was Mary and Joseph, right? It was Mary and Joseph. Look what Mary, how she responds. Okay, so after we have this conversation, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In other words, she just said, allow me to be pregnant before marriage, to be disgraced in my hometown, and to potentially look at my husband, my future husband, walking away from me, and to potentially look at a stoning as, as me saying yes. Like, so her, in her obedience, she was basically willing to say, allow all that stuff to happen. In other words, if you're going to do this and you're going to be the one that gets me through, I can be obedient to what you're called me to do. I think sometimes if we saw the whole thing that God was calling us to, we'd have a hard time saying yes. And in Mary's case, she knew just enough to know this was going to be really difficult but she was willing to be obedient in what God was calling her. To take the first step, to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your will, your word be fulfilled in my life. Sometimes that's all God is looking for. Right? To be perfectly imperfect means that we're an imperfect person. We have sin in our lives. We have things that we struggle with. We have anxieties. We have fear and doubt sometimes. But God uses us in spite of those things. And the perfection that he's looking for us in, in us is really just a, an obedience a willingness to say yes to him. That's what he's asking for uh, from us. Like, just say yes to me. I'll take care of the details. I'll figure all this stuff out. And she must have been incredibly stressed with this whole thing. And then we read Joseph's story. And Joseph, it it seems like he was a really good person. It says that he was a very law-abiding guy. And, And this is what it says about Joseph, how he responded. Now, It says, when Joseph found out of this, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so Joseph, when he finds out his uh, fiance is pregnant and she says, the Holy Spirit did this, he's like, okay, I'll just quietly divorce you or quietly put you, I'm not going to expose you to everyone. I'm not going to call you out in front of everybody. I'm not going to make a public thing out of this. I'm just going to make this go away. And then it says he himself has a, a moment with an angel in a dream where he's called to do something. And then he shows the very same behavior that Mary showed. So it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. And he, in his obedience, did exactly what God was calling him to do. He was perfectly imperfect in that moment. He went from being somebody who was willing to walk away and to do it in a nice way, a kind way, a thoughtful way. But then to actually take on what God was calling him to do, it meant disgrace for him. It meant changing his status in the community. It meant a lot of things to him that he had to say yes to and find obedience in. And so both of them were willing to say yes to all the things that came along with having a baby before you were married in a Jewish culture in the first century. Okay? It would be a little bit less of those, some of those social uh, issues in our culture, but there would be, still be some of those things that would come along with it. In their culture, if you had a baby before marriage, it was disgraceful. And somebody who was law-abiding, somebody who wanted to to be obedient to God, would never, ever, ever want to find themselves in this situation. And we find here in this picture, in this story, that God prefers perfectly imperfect people. That God wants to use people who are willing to be obedient, even in their imperfection. That's literally what he's calling us to. Now, sometimes we can step back and be like, I'm not capable of it, or I don't want to say yes to it, or I'm afraid to do what God's calling me to do. And he's saying, 
look, you don't have to have it together. You need to be obedient. That's one of the things about our church that we hope comes through so clear. We don't expect you to have it together before you show up here. That doesn't even make any sense. You can come here with whatever baggage you bring in. All of us have baggage. All of us are carrying things. We've all got family stuff. We've all got fears. We've all got anxieties. We've all got hangups. We've all got issues. Bring it with you and then meet Jesus, okay? And then see what happens to those fears and those anxieties and those issues that you're carrying with you. You can find a way forward when you are obedient to God, when you meet Jesus, and when he changes your life. And they're about to meet Jesus. So they're finding enough obedience in their religion, okay, to say yes to God. But they're about to meet Jesus, and that's going to completely change their world. All right, so Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, details like this is what brings the Bible to life. Now, if you go Google Caesar Augustus, census, Roman world, Quirinius, governor of Syria, what you'll find is a lot of people out there who will question whether this even happened. They'll say, the things don't make sense. They'll say, you know, uh, this is off by 10 years. There was a smaller census that was taken. But in this, we see this was the first census taken, not the multiple censuses that happened during Quirinius's governorship of Syria. And this is the kind of stuff that brings incredible context to the story. Okay? Luke, who wrote this, sat down and tried to make the most orderly account of the entire story of Jesus that he possibly could. Luke wasn't there. He heard this story from the people who were. Okay? He heard the story from the brother of Jesus, from Mary, if he had met her before she passed on. He knew the people who were part of the story, and this was him writing this story into uh, his account of Jesus' life. And when we see things like this, you can step back and say, this is a, uh, a doctor, Luke was a doctor, writing in as much of an orderly account as possible and giving us some context to this story and helping us understand and see that it is honestly really a real story. The place where they need to go for the census. And it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So I think sometimes, in fact, I could tell you, I, I really hope there's no video of this, that this doesn't exist anywhere. I was trying to think of who would have. There was definitely at some point video, but I think now it is gone. But I was in a musical when I was 16 years old. Um, and <laughs> it was the last time I sang in public. <laughs> um, I, uh, I came in, I was the innkeeper. And I came in on a line that, was the song started, uh, dollars and census, they're going to tax us. Uh, and I couldn't find the key. And so I came in and I was, dollars and census. And I'm like, oh no, there's no one to help me. I'm singing by myself and there, there's a track. I can't hear it. There's no one else singing with me. And I'm terrible at singing. Why did I say yes to this situation? Um, I think on all these stories, we think that there's an innkeeper. There was no hotel. There's no hotel in this town. The extra room that would have been available would have been all used up by people traveling into town. And it would have been uh, attached to people's homes. So, like, 
uh, attics and basements, essentially. It would have been like when your family comes to your house and you put them up in your house. So what we see in this story is that Joseph doesn't really have very many connections to anyone who lives in this town. In fact, he's traveling there to, to go ahead and be registered, but he doesn't have family that he's showing up to. There are people who might be like distant relatives to him, but there's no one there for him who's ready to put him up. There's no room in the town. There's no, there's no inn. There's no hotel. There's no room in the town for anyone to be. And so we kind of also have this picture, this beautiful picture of a manger, you know, in the, in the barn and everything. There are no barns. There's no barns, okay? So most likely at that time, they would be putting their animals in some caves that are nearby there and kind of helping them get in there for the evening. And so it was probably a cave at the edge of town, and they were essentially all alone. It's not exactly the thing that you want when you show up in town to visit people or to travel, right? And so this was the situation that they were in. So she placed him in cloths and put him in a manger because there was no guest room available. It says, And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Again, we see that same theme. When the angels show up, everyone's afraid because they're huge and you feel small. You feel like this angel could take your life if you wanted to. In fact, that's something we all need to feel sometimes, the bigness of God and the smallness that we are. But the angel said to them, again, don't be afraid. And God always, in these moments, when he's not there to to be angry, when he's there to kind of push the story along, he always, the first thing that comes out of the angel's mouth is do not be afraid. Okay, I understand this. As a youth pastor for 15 years, right? if I ever had to make a phone call to a parent when I was either away at camp or away on a mission trip, if a parent received a phone call from me while their kid was in my care, their anxiety level goes way up. What, why is he calling me? What is going on with my kid? What did my kid do? Is my kid hurt? Are they in the hospital? What is happening right now? First thing out of my mouth as a youth pastor, which I was trained by an older youth pastor from the very first day, he said, look, when you call a parent, the first thing you say is, everything's okay. <laughs> Your son or daughter is fine. Uh, I just need to call you because you need to come pick them up because they're terrible and they have to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Unless everything's not okay, <laughs> which there was one time where I had to go over the Canadian border to a hospital in the U.S. for a kid who stepped on a nail and it went through his foot, like all the way through. And they had to operate and pull it out and then give him all kinds of meds. And the parents were hours and hours away. And so that phone call was a little different. It was like, um, hi, I need to tell you something really important. <laughs> Everything is not okay. <laughs> okay, so the, the angel, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, a great joy for all people. By the way, I bring you good news that will create great joy for all the people. We still have good news that creates joy for every person who listens to the good news of Jesus. This is not just something that happened that night. This was a declaration for all time for all people. That Jesus coming into the world would be great news for every person who would ever live in all of history. And the fact that it was for all people couldn't have been any louder than the fact that this angel was saying this to the shepherds. These shepherds were sketchy, right? They like lived on their own out in the wilderness and took care of sheep and they were not getting regular hygiene moments there out there with their sheep. They were probably a little bit sketchy. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they probably didn't have really great social skills because how do you develop social skills when you're just 
basically whacking sheep around all day, trying to get them to do what you want. They're a little bit like, um, let's see, who doesn't have social skills, doesn't take showers? They're a little bit like junior high homeschool boys. <laughs> if you want to complain about that, you can send the email to office at uh, pursuitcommunity.church, and Megan will be glad to handle um, so they're, they're just kind of sketchy and they're kind of out there by themselves and they're a little bit disconnected from the community. They don't live in the community. People are like, oh, here come shepherds. Let's just, uh, you know, like whatever. Like they're just unsavory people that just aren't really that connected. So the fact that the angel is telling them that good news will cause great joy for all people, it couldn't be any louder. It couldn't be any, you couldn't find people who were, more on the outside of the society than these shepherds were. This was God making a point that perfectly imperfect people are the ones he prefers to use. He's just saying, I'm going to bring the people who don't deserve to be there into this moment. And I want them to be part of this. And I want this to happen to show everyone for all time that I really mean this. That I really mean this for all people. And I don't know if you're struggling with anxiety or, or um, you know, or fear or, you know, you kind of feel the weight of some of that stuff in your everyday life. Jesus brings joy into our lives. Jesus brings peace into our lives. When we're struggling, when we're dealing with anxiety, when we're dealing with fear, Jesus is the answer to that. He's the good news that brings the joy and the peace into our lives. This couldn't be any more true today than it even was then. So today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. It's like, you'll know when you see it because it'll be the weirdest thing that you've ever seen. It says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels. By the way, the, the great company doesn't show up till the end because I'm not sure that the shepherds would have got off their face to even communicate with the angels if they had all showed up at once, right? And so it says, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those with whom his favor rests. By the way, there's the peace. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were like, who, who was that? Again? What was that guy? Oh, that's one of the shepherds? The, this story is incredible. Like, what, what is going on? And then this is what it says about Mary, right? It says, uh, skipping ahead to verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Every moment of this was something that she treasured. Now, I've only been part of two births in uh, my life. Both of my children. I was there for both of them. The first one took a long time, and it was, uh, it was kind of a marathon. And it was, you know, by the time it came, it was this feeling of relief. Okay, this is over. We have a healthy baby. Mom's healthy. Things are okay, right? When my daughter Macy was born, it was like, a, um, we need to go to the hospital. And then we got everything and we waited for somebody to come over to the house to watch the, uh, you know, our son. And then we got into the car and then about like halfway down the stairs to the car, my wife began to tell me this baby's coming right now. And we we're still 15, 20 minutes away from the hospital. 
And I'm like, okay. So we get in the car and I'm like pushing it. And the whole way there, she's screaming at the top of her lungs. This baby is coming. This baby is coming. I can't, I can't hold this baby in. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. This is terrible. Do I pull over? Like, do, is there someone I call? I don't know what's going to happen here. And we go straight to the hospital. I run inside. I get a, uh, a wheelchair. I run back out. I put her in. I run in. And as I went in to get the wheelchair, I said, my wife's having a baby. It might actually be in our arms by the time I get back. Please be ready. And I wheeled her in and there was some ninja nurse. Are there any nurses in the room here? Yeah. Ninja nurse ready. And she was standing there when I ran back in and she grabbed the hold of the cart and ran straight to the elevator because we had to go in the emergency area and we had to go up to the, the place where you deliver the babies. And the whole time she's yelling, you're not having the baby, you're not having the baby, you're not having the baby. And she's rolling and we're in, she's screaming, I'm chasing down this, this woman, just trying to stay with her the whole way. We get into the elevator and it's like one of those movies like, you know, we're all standing there like, except for the fact that Marty's screaming at the top of her lungs. And then the door opens and she's just pushing all the way through. She's running into the room and there's like four nurses waiting there. And then on the bed and then the baby is there. Like it's literally a minute and a half after we hit the bed in the room that the baby is there. And I am holding Marty's hand and I'm like on the ground just weeping <laughs> because there's so much adrenaline right in that moment. I just it was incredible. Uh, it was not the way that we had planned to have that child. We were lucky to have made it into that room. It was not the ideal situation that we wanted it to be. And I can tell you that M Marty, at the very end of that, she wasn't treasuring all those moments in her heart. She was like, this is great. This is going to be a great story someday. It's going to make a good sermon illustration. This is fantastic. Like, she was not thinking that way. She was relieved. She was amazed that this was over that quickly. It was just incredible. And then we decided we didn't want to have a third child because I don't think we'd make it to the hospital. It'd be at home. And I don't want it. That's scary. Right? So Mary treasured these things and she pondered them in her heart. And God called me to do something incredibly crazy. And I said, yes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just love every single moment of this. And I'm going to ask God, where are you present in all of these situations? I, here I am in a cave Next to a manger, my child is in an unhygienic moment here. There are creepy dudes from the fields coming in to say hello. <laughs> By the way, like there's no, you can't turn the, the flashlight on your phone on there. There's no light. There's nothing happening in this place. Like this was probably terrifying. And here she is pondering all these things and treasuring them in her heart. Like, that's, that's what God wants. He, he wants us in the midst of the craziness that's going on and of all the stuff that's not going the way that we thought it would and all the unmet uh, expectations that we have to stop and say, where is God working in these moments? Like he's, he's called me to this and it's not what I expected and something's different than what I hoped it would be. And yet I'm still going to find time to, to stop in the midst of this craziness and I'm going to worship him and thank him for what he's doing even when things don't go the way that I hoped they would. Right? You're going to have an opportunity to do this over the next week or two. You're going to have family that comes in. You're going to have unmet expectations. You're going to be dealing with a lot of stuff. And you're going to have a chance to step back and say, I, I, what is God doing? I, I, let me step back and ask him what he's doing. And let me treasure the moments that I do have. And let me ponder where he's going with all this. And so that, that was God using perfectly imperfect people to fulfill his will and 
And in, in this moment, he uses a perfectly imperfect situation to fulfill his will. I mean, there was nothing perfect about this moment. You've got pregnant, unwed teen mother. You've got travel issues. You've got a foreign location. They are all alone. This is a very non-sterile environment. This is where the animals hang out. Okay, this probably didn't even, didn't smell like home sweet home. Let's put it that way. And they, in a moment, will be fleeing persecution. Okay, this is not the way. Now, if I were somebody who was a, a PR manager and God said to me, hey, listen, I'm going to send the king who will sit on the throne and save all the people from their sins for all time into this world. I want you to plan this event. You can choose any time in history. You can put it anywhere you want. You can do anything you want. All the, the, everything that's owned in this world is, belongs to me and you can use it however you want. If you sat back and said, where would I announce Jesus and how would I do that? And what would that look like? Nobody chooses this. A million of us could sit down and plan out how we would bring Jesus into this world and none of us would choose this. I'd be like, where's the biggest scene? I'd probably wait until it could be watched on every smartphone in the entire world. I'd bring him into the most royal family I possibly could. I'd bring, them into, I'd bring Jesus into great wealth. right? I'd, I'd allow everybody to follow him on social media from day one. Every single part of his life would be known and seen and, and experienced by every person for the entire time. It's not how God chose to bring Jesus into this world. And we have to step back and ask, our, ask the question, why this way? Why this way? Well, I'll tell you why this way. Because Jesus' birth fit perfectly with the rest of his life. It fit perfectly. If you were going to step back and say, how do I bring the humble servant who will lay himself down for all the people to save them from their sins? How do I explain to the world how much I love them? How do I help everyone understand that all people are invited into this thing? How do I do this in such a way that it disarms people? Well, now you'd start to get yourself to a place that God chose. Jesus' birth fit perfectly with his life. When Jesus was teaching his disciples, he'd say things like, you know, the leaders in this world, they lord their leadership over each other, but I have called you to do something completely different. I have called you to lay yourself down for the people around you. I wasn't born into wealth. I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth. I was born into a family where I was adopted by a father from day one. By the way, you're going to be adopted in your relationship with God. I'm going to ask you to lay your life down. I, I'm going to show you what it looks like throughout my whole life. It fit perfectly with his life of being a servant. You know, in that conversation, he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And then it fit perfectly with his death as he went to a cross. Again, if you had said to me, pick how Jesus would walk away from this life that he chose to live in this world, I would have not chosen the cross. And yet this is what God chose to show us what it looks like to be a servant and to lay ourselves down for others. He said, go and do what Jesus has done. And so Jesus' birth fit perfectly into his life and into his death. We're still talking about it. We're still stepping back and trying to take it in, even now. So my question to you, as you guys are thinking through this holiday season is, where do you have time to step back and ponder what God is doing in your own life through your relationship with Jesus?
And if you don't know Jesus, then I'm sure that the joy and the peace that comes with knowing Christ is something that you don't have a handle on in your life. And maybe you're saying, I really need that. Like this is getting overwhelming. Like the anxiety level and the fear and the stress and the the intensity of my life keeps ratcheting up and I don't know Christ. And that means I don't have the joy that comes with that relationship or the peace that comes with that relationship. Well, God wanted to show you how much he loved you by bringing Jesus into the world this way. He wanted you to understand that all people, all people are invited into this. That there is no barrier or boundary between you and Christ. All it takes is someone who's willing to be obedient and humble and say yes to Christ. So that peace and that joy is still offered to us through the baby that was born 2,000 years ago. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would be more real to us this Christmas season than ever before. Not that you're not always part of our lives, but that you would help us to step back and to focus in on what you're doing in our world. God, help us to be obedient, to say yes the way that Mary and Joseph said yes to you. God, help us to lay the anxieties and the fears and the stress and the stuff that we're carrying, to lay it down and to receive Christ again in our lives all the time, every day, and again receive the peace and the joy that comes with knowing Him. And God, I pray for those of us in the room who haven't begun a relationship with You, that You would make Yourself so real to them, that You would call them into this relationship, and that they would uh, have no other response than, than to be obedient and to receive You and to start walking in that joy and peace that's available to them. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our world, for living this servant lifestyle in front of us, and for calling us to do the same thing for others. God, we pray that as we live the way that you lived, and as we are obedient to the things that you are calling us to, God, that your kingdom would enlarge because people who are far off from you would come into relationship with you. God, we pray that you'd bring in those people who are on the outskirts of society, the ones that are lost and don't feel like they fit in a church, God, that this would be a place that would be incredibly comfortable for them as they get to know you and that you would change them from the inside out. That's what we pray for, God, that you would use us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.